Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we are back. Thank you guys for joining us again on the College Football Survivor Show. Something different, something we're starting here in the offseason that will be very informative and entertaining. And we get new people in. It's me, it's Shahan, and joining us today is Nate Mink of Syracuse.com. And he is here because we are going to do all five Power Five conferences. We're going to break down the best playoff team, the playoff course, best Heisman candidate, the Heisman course, the most important game, which team is going to be on the playoff radar five years from now. We're going to go through all the conferences, and we're starting with the ACC. This, of course, is a show about the playoff, so it's playoff-centric. But, Nate, first of all, thank you for coming on the College Football Survivor Show and putting up with me and Shahan today and giving us your ACC knowledge. I I, I got to be honest. I'm I'm stunned you 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 called on a Syracuse guy to go on a college football playoff podcast. This is unfamiliar territory for a lot of us. Uh, but Hey, hope springs eternal this time of year. And, uh, and, and even the ACC, quite frankly, you know, last year, obviously the first year they, they uh, missed the playoff entirely. Uh, we need to, we need to bring the ACC back into the public specter because, uh, uh, I feel like this is a this is a conference that uh, is is has is, is falling behind and 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 largely forgotten uh, compared to some of the other Power Five leagues across the country. That is absolutely the headline I'm putting on this podcast: bringing the ACC back into the public specter. That's what we're here to do. Shahan, I will say though, Nate, I, I appreciate you coming in. You've covered Syracuse for a long time. You know the ACC, Shahan. You know you know Nate from the. Football Writers Association uh, All-American call where they have people from different conferences. It's not like Nate only knows the cues, right? He's He gets in there. He knows the other ACC people. We're not going to be doing Dino's guys for 45 minutes here. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with that. I, I will have an hour-long <laughs> podcast on Sean Tucker. That dude rules. Uh, I, I rem- we, we will get to that. Uh, we do have a, a category for Dark Horse Heisman uh, picks, and so I will be giving some love Syracuse's way, but yes, uh, Nate does know a little, a little more than just about uh, the orange, but uh, yeah, I, I think that it's going to be a fun show. You know, I feel like the ACC heading into this year is like maybe one of the more chaotic conferences uh, coming up this year. I think that there's a lot of fun teams. Uh, and by the way, this is this is a weird feeling, but ACC is the cradle of quarterbacks right now. There are some really good quarterbacks in this league, uh, and I can't wait to talk about them. So can I say off the top before we get into our categories, is this perhaps going to be an excellent year of ACC football? Two things at play. One is, in the most recent NFL draft, there were only seven ACC players selected in the first three rounds. That's not great. Right? I'm not, not that. But the not great part of it is the good thing. Because in 2021, there were 20 ACC players selected in the first three rounds. The year before that, there were eight. The year before that, there were 12. The year before that, there were 17. My point is, maybe all the talent in the ACC stayed. In the ACC, when you start to look at projections for the 2023 NFL draft, you start going through. I saw at least four ACC quarterbacks in different like, hey, let's do a mock draft 12 months ahead of time. At least four ACC quarterbacks and as thrown out in the first round, all kinds of different defensive dudes. 
I think there's real talent that stayed in this conference. And the second thing is, as you mentioned, Shahan, cradle of quarterbacks. Nate, 10 of the 14 teams have their quarterback back. It's like nine returning starters, and then Phil Dracovic from Boston College was hurt most of last year, but he's back. And then two of the four teams that lost their quarterback, Pitt lost Kenny Pickett and is replacing him with the USC transfer, and North Carolina lost Sam Howell and was replacing him with a five-star in Drake May. So, Nate, there is some really interesting quarterbacking possibilities. Now they're all not going to hit. But some if you got talent at quarterback, you got a shot, and that's definitely true in the ACC this year, isn't it? It's so deep, Doug. It's 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 you know. Last year at this time, we were talking about Sam Howell being the first round quarterback out of the ACC, and it, and a year later, it ends up being Kenny Pickett. And, and Sam Howell, you know, I think went with the first pick in the fifth round to to the Commanders in in DC. So it, it was. I felt it was deep last year, and most of those guys are are back this year. And and it's it's. Everyone at the top of the of draft boards, like the Tyler Van Dykes of the world, you know, you got Dave Doran on draft night talking up Devin Leary as maybe the best quarterback in the country. Uh, you have guys a little bit down the list who are still, I think, uh, very, very good college quarterbacks. Brent, Brennan Armstrong, Malik Cunningham, Sam Hartman. Uh, you know, it, it's week in and week out. You're going to see a damn good quarterback in this league. And. That is, I think, rife for drama. I think that is rife for upsets. I think if you look at maybe the most unsettled quarterback position in the conference right now, it's probably Clemson sitting here on May 17th. You know, Dewey, uh, DJ, uh, Weangalele, uh, Rocky, Rocky sophomore season last season. He's, I think, going to be pushed by the freshman Klubnik from Texas. Uh, if you're talking about quarterback play in the league and you're looking at Clemson maybe being the most unsettled situation right now, you know this is a deep, uh, deep group of, of quarterbacks in this league. Can I just say I had a moment of panic there because I've been studying the ACC and I was like, OK, I think I have a handle on all the quarterbacks. And then I thought, OK, so he's talking about at Clemson. The quarterback competition is DJ Uyunglele and Cade Klubnik. But wait, there's a third guy in there named Rocky Sophomore. And I was like, I don't know who Rocky <laughs> Sophomore is. Wait, who is Rocky? And then, oh, Rocky Sophomore season. By the way, my college football novel, Rocky Sophomore, absolutely the name of the quarterback. Like he's going to come in, you know, like have an okay freshman year. And you're going to be like, I wonder how year two is going to go for Rocky Sophomore. And then, you know, have to come and overcome his name. Hopefully better than General Booty down the line. <laughs> I, I can't believe that, uh, that you didn't mention noted five-star student assistant and Northwestern legend Hunter Johnson. I can't believe that he didn't end up on our radar as somebody who explicitly came in to be like, we like his leadership. Deep, deep group. It, it is. It is. Yeah. Hunter Johnson was like, can I come back and like file things in the football office? And, and Dabo was like, you want to be in the quarterback competition? He's like, OK, I don't know. Um, I'm cold. Can I come home? The seven of the top 10 passers in the ACC last year are back. Brennan Armstrong at Virginia was number one. This is in passing yard per game. Sam Hartman at Wake Forest was number three. Number four was Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. Number five was Devin Leary at North Carolina State. Number seven was, um, well, this guy only played like half a year, but he still averaged like 240 passing yards per game. Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. 
Number eight was Malik Cunningham at Louisville. And number 10 was DJ Uyunglele at Clemson, Shahan. We're going to get more into the quarterbacks, but this is this is fun. You can spin the wheel and everybody can pick their favorite because maybe you're a Malik Cunningham guy. Maybe you're a Devin Leary guy. Maybe you're a Phil Jerkovic guy. Maybe you're a Tyler Van Dyke or a Brennan Armstrong. They're Sam Hartman. They're really... They're a little bit different styles, right? But all really productive. I think a lot of it's going to come down to how their offensive coordinators and play callers take advantage of their strengths, right? Because these guys all know what they're doing. The Big Ten, Shahan, would kill for quarterback depth like this. I'm not so sure that the ACC doesn't have 10 quarterbacks that are better than like the third best quarterback in the Big Ten. And I'm not sure I'm exaggerating. No, I, I don't think that you are. It's it's such a culmination year in so many ways at quarterback for the ACC. And I, I mean, I think that you have to love it as a fan because you look at this league. It's a lot of it's a lot of different types of quarterbacks, like you mentioned. I mean, you have sort of this dual threat guy, Malik Cunningham. You've got the guy who's just throwing rockets all over the field in Brennan Armstrong. I, I think it's just such a fun league. And they, I mean, I'm curious. Obviously, I mean, I covered uh, I covered the Big 12 back in like the early to mid 2010s, and you saw stylistically uh, there there were obviously a lot of reasons for great quarterback play. Um, I'm curious, is there a reason that right now is kind of this moment for the ACC? Because you don't you look at all those teams. I mean, they're not running the same type of system, right? They're not all air raid based or anything like that. What, why do you think that now has kind of become a moment? You know, Sean, I really I really just think they are riding this natural wave where a lot of these guys are are fourth, fifth, in, in some cases, sixth year seniors that have just been around a long, a long time. And, you know, this this is their apex. This is this is your this is their time. Um, you know, you just look at even even guys like Van Dyke, who have who have kind of emerged out of nowhere, you know, uh, he you know, you know, he, 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 he rattled off, you know, how many 300 yard passing games last year, you know, I, I think the, 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 the pause for concern, if, if there is one with, with these quarterbacks is some of these well-established starters are going through coordinator changes uh, and, and, and coaching transitions right now, you know, Armstrong at Virginia uh, lost his guys to Syracuse of all places. Uh you know, Van Dyke's got a new a new uh, group uh, coaching him this year. Uh, you, you know, uh, you know, Pitt has uh, Pitt lost Whipple, right? And and Brennan Marion, who was maybe the key to to to, to some of their success in recruiting, and, and certainly uh, Jordan Addison's development. He's now at Texas, so you know, there's there's still going to be while while there's a lot of returning production, there's also I think a lot of coaching transition and turnover and staff turnover and staff attrition sprinkled throughout this league that you know maybe while everyone's anticipating this to be you know a a dynamic year of quarterback play you know some of the guys that we project now to be really really good in the fall might have some some natural growing pains come come september four first year head coaches in the acc this year brent pry at virginia tech mike elko at duke and then the two big ones tony elliott at virginia and mario cristobal at miami there are another four coach four head coaches who are in year two three or four who are kind of still like getting their feet under him then there's this group of four guys who have been there between seven and ten years who are like feel like they're like right on the edge of popping two of them had their best seasons last year then you got mac and Dabo, 
Mac Brown at North Carolina has been there 14 years total. Dabo, 15 years at Clemson. But you look at Dave Clawson last year at Wake Forest, had his best year in his eighth year at Wake Forest. 11 and three, had never been better than eight and five before. Pat Narduzzi last year, year seven at Pitt, 11 and three, had never been better than eight and five before. Dino Babers is had a 10 and three year at Syracuse in year three. I don't know, maybe, you know, they got Sean Tucker. Shahan's going to do 15 minutes on Sean Tucker. Maybe that, maybe Syracuse on the way back up. And then the guy that Shahan, you're all over North Carolina State. Is this the year for North Carolina State? Dave Doran, nine and three last year. We know they didn't get to play the bowl game. They wanted to get the 10 wins. They've never gotten the 10 wins. He's had three nine win seasons. Is is this the year kind of Wake Forest and Pitt sort of broke through last year? North Carolina State was good. Is this the breakthrough year for North Carolina State? Those guys, like they stuck it out, right? I mean, those guys have been grinding away in the middle of the ACC for almost a decade, and they're they're all starting to break through. We're asking me? Sorry. No, yeah, no, I was asking you. I was because you oh. love North Carolina State. <laughs> I just wanted you, I, I wanted you. This yeah. is the part you got two <laughs> things. You're the Sean Tucker, Syracuse running back guy. <laughs> And you're the you – you, you know how the thing you do, you make fun of North Carolina State because they didn't get to play in the mayonnaise bowl, but then you also respect them. But then you say, ha-ha, UCLA couldn't play. You didn't get to win 10 games, and then you had a mayonnaise fit, yeah. but you're good at football. Do that yeah. thing where you do that part. Well, the funny thing is, right, North Carolina State for so long has been good at two things. They've been good at producing quarterbacks. You look at the NFL quarterback list right now, and they've got a lot of guys on that list. And they've been great at producing linemen on both sides of the ball. And you feel like those are the two things. If you want to be a great college football team, you should do at a high level. You want to have Iki Aquana. You want to have Bradley Chubb. You want to have Phillip Rivers. Why can't all of these things happen at the same time? And lead to success, right? I mean, I think that I look at North Carolina State, uh, and we talked about this a little bit when we were sort of divvying up the teams into sort of, you know, who would make a, you know, a next level of college football if it was cut down to 30 teams. I mean, North Carolina State, in a lot of ways, makes the argument for being the football team in North Carolina, but it just has never come through and uh, in a way that feels almost impossible. So this year, Obviously, they bring back a great quarterback in Dennis Leary. They, they rank, I believe, top 20 in the country in returning production overall, including, I believe, top five on the defensive side of the ball. This feels like the year that it has to happen, right? When you've got so much coming back, when I think they would have had a real shot to win 10 games instead of the fake whatever the heck that they did by pretending to declare themselves winners of that game. I, I mean, I think that Heading into this next year, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be Clemson. Obviously, Wake's going to be back. Obviously, Pitt's going to still have a chance to be pretty good. I mean, this is the year for NC State. This is the year that I think, if it's going to happen for Dave Dorn, who I think is a fantastic coach, this kind of feels like it has to be the year. All right. We will take a quick break here in the College Football Survivor Show. We will come back and get to our categories, the playoff teams, the highest man candidates, the biggest games. We will do that next right after this. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. These are the guys I think about in tandem that we have to talk about. And it's Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott, who were the offensive coordinators for Clemson basically during the entire run. Tony Elliott was there for all six playoff teams for Clemson. Jeff Scott was there for five. They're the Brent Venables on the offensive side of the ball. And guess what Clemson was pretty good at? Offense! It wasn't Brent Venables dragging some sad sack offense into the playoff every year. They just 
don't get as much credit as Brent Venables did. This is not like Dabo scheming it up, I don't think, and Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott being like, yeah, okay, Dabo, whatever you say. Like, these guys schemed it up. Why would they not be on if Brent Venables is the first guy on? Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Back on the College Football Survivor Show. Listen, go back and listen if you don't subscribe to Apple Podcasts. That's the show we do every week. It's a bonus episode for Apple Podcast listeners. This is what everybody gets because we want everybody to be involved. But we've been doing Mount Rushmore's four best people in the eight-year history of the playoff at different position groups. We did six different player position groups. This week, we did assistant coaches. You don't hear a lot of good, in-depth assistant coach talk, and I know you guys have been clamoring for it. Man, what are they going to give credit to the offensive line coaches of the world? That's what we did on this bonus episode. We did a lot of Clemson talk. A lot of a Clemson assistant coaches with playoff experience. Where do BAM assistants fit in there? Some Ohio State, some LSU. We direct you to that. It's $2.99 a month. You get four episodes usually, almost all the time. It's like 75 cents an episode. What a bargain will come back here with our categories. We talk so much about some individual players. I want to start with the Heisman stuff. I know I had said we'll start with the playoff stuff, but I want to start with the Heisman stuff. Nate Mink from Syracuse.com, who is in your opinion, the best Heisman candidate in the ACC this season? Well, I think if you're talking Heisman, typically you're talking quarterback. And typically you're talking quarterback on, at the very least, a team that's in the top 25. So I think from that vantage point, your, your, pool, is, your pool is winnowed down to a, to a few guys, right? If you're, if you're really talking a true Heisman candidate. So I think the best candidate is going to be Tyler Van Dyke. And I don't necessarily know if Miami's going to be quite prepared to push for an ACC championship and a CFP berth this season. They got an early test at A&M that can certainly draw a lot of people's attentions if they come out of College Station with a W. But Van Dyke, just because of, of all the attention, all the, all the preseason hype that he's going to garner, going, you know, possibly being a, a first-round NFL draft pick uh, next spring, uh, Cristobal, I think, is going to quickly, along with Dan Radakovich, uh, the Clemson AD now transplanted down at, at Coral Gables, I think they're going to be on the fast track to accelerate that program into, quote-unquote, the modern era of, of college football. And Van Dyke, I think, it just has the makeup that if he can keep Miami in the top 25 competitive, he's going to have the, the stats and the playmaking ability to at least be in the conversation for New York at the end of the season. I have a, I have a, another guy as, as my dark horse, pick, dark horse pick who's probably in that same boat, maybe not a CFP contender, but if he can keep his team competitive, you know, he's going to have a shot just because of, of what he means to that offense and, and how dynamic is as a player that, that is also going to be in that conversation. But I think if you're looking at the best candidate for the Heisman Trophy, it's Van Dyke. I don't see anyone at Clemson uh, on, on the offensive side of the ball rising to the level of being a Heisman Trophy cont- uh, contender. I think NC State, if they take off this year, Leary is certainly going to be the prime guy there. But as we'll get into later, I don't know if I'm as high as NC State this year as Shahan is. So Van Dyke's my guy. He's jazzy, right? I mean, he's going to do exciting things. And it's a matter of Josh Gaddis as the new offensive coordinator at Miami who ran the ball a lot at Michigan because that's what Michigan did well. Is going to have to have an offense ready to go to take advantage of Tyler Van Dyke. But he's my guy also. And Shahan, the path is the Kenny Pickett path. Kenny Pickett didn't win. He got to New York. It's like, oh, what would that look like? Pitt wasn't challenging for the national title. 
but they were really good in the ACC and they let Kenny Pickett not, I mean, he was given an opportunity to put up big numbers and win big games. And he did. The picket path is there. And I think you just sort of have to decide which ACC quarterback is going to take it. I agree with Nate. Shahan, where are you? Well, first of all, I think that that's the first time that a guy from Connecticut has been called jazzy since like 1943. But we'll ride with it. We'll ride with it. Uh, I, I want to take your attention to October 23rd uh, of last season when Miami plays NC State. And Tyler Van Dyke throws for 325 yards. It's really his first breakout game. And from that point on, Miami went five and one with the only loss being a very dumb loss to Florida State that they really could have had. And they beat NC State. They beat Pitt, who won the ACC along the way. Uh, They beat Virginia Tech. They obviously crushed Duke. And so I think that the thing that I like most about Tyler Van Dyke, who is also my pick, is that I think that Mario Cristobal comes into a situation that is actually a lot better than maybe the record looks. So. They went seven and five last year, primarily because they played Alabama and Michigan State in the non-conference slate. That was a very bad idea, Miami. Why did you do that? But I think that now, uh, when you look at the narrative perspective, if Miami's pushing for 10 wins, I don't think it necessarily means that they're a fundamentally different quality team than they were last year. But Tyler Van Dyke's going to be starting from week one. He's going to put up huge numbers. He threw for at least 300 yards in every game after that October 23rd game. So we're talking about a quarterback who I think is going to be pushing for 4,000 yards next year, be in that sort of caliber, going to throw a lot of touchdowns. And I think that if Miami pushes for 10 wins, even though, again, I I don't think it fundamentally means that they're a different team than they were last season, especially by the end. I I think that that story component is really the thing that you have to look at uh, that could maybe get him over the top to where he's competing to be in New York. I think he needs, as a quarterback, if you're not on a, championship contender you need nfl juice and if he has a good year he'll have that kenny pickett got that no doubt he finished kenny pickett finished third in the heisman voting last year he only got 28 first place votes like he he didn't come close to winning bryce young got 2300 points kenny pickett got 631 but he got to go to new york and you get to wear a suit and you get to walk around and i don't know go see a broadway play meet that that underwear cowboy guy in times square i think they met him they go to the stock exchange they go up the statue of liberty you know you get to go to the brooklyn bridge you get to eat a slice of pizza and a bagel you say forget Are you about just it listing things you know about new york you get those shirts with an apple on he's it he's from connecticut I, I don't think that going to new york is going to be the most exciting thing that's ever happened to him well then i feel like he won't be motivated to have a good year he'll be like i've been <laughs> to new york why should i even bother okay can we move it to vegas <laughs> don't say the heisman trophy trust they're like they need a little juice they'll be in vegas next month thanks to you shahan <laughs> Goodbye, New York. So he, Kenny Pickett finished third last year. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, the numbers I'm looking at, he's the ninth ninth on the Heisman Eyes list right now, 35 to 1. DJ Uyunglele is ahead of him, Nate. Uh, I don't know who would set their money on fire by betting on DJ to win the Heisman this year, but none of us went there. I don't know, Nate, that any of us thought of going there with DJ, the Clemson quarterback. No, and and you know at the end of the season, DJ very well could be the starting quarterback for the ACC champions. But too many question marks for me up front with that O line. You know that has really been the Achilles heel for Clemson the last the last couple of years. As you look as as they've kind of rode the wave and then 
it came a little bit more crashing down to earth. It's really offensive line play is what done them in. And obviously last year they just had a string of injuries. Uh, wide receiver in particular was just decimated. Uh, you know, some of those guys are coming back, you know, Joe Nagata, EJ Williams, like, like he has receiving targets, uh, presumably going to be available this year that he just did not have last year. So uh, there is going to be, I think Clemson will be better offensively than they were a year ago. They have to be better. They were absolutely awful last year. Uh, but you know, uh, again, uh, staff shakeup, uh, Brandon Streeter's taken over, uh, with Tony Yellow off to Virginia. Uh, again, uh, Clemson, I, I just don't like the trajectory of their offense. And to be honest, I caught a little bit of their spring game and they did not wow me, uh, during the spring at all. I know that all those games are typically, you know, very vanilla and, and plain Jane, but, uh, DJ from, from where, from what he looked like in South Bend back in 2020 to what he looked like last year, it was just uh, a cataclysmic drop in, in production. And, and, uh, I don't know how you can buy stock in, into him this year, unless you were p- potentially labeling him as a dark horse. Well, I mean, if, if you watched, uh, if you watched the Dr. Pepper commercials, then maybe that's the only ACC player, you know, that's true. No, he'll get the Dr. Pepper vote for sure. Um, and yeah, that'll be, that's a, that's a good audience for him, but, but we're not, we're not buying it. That's mean. <laughs> that seems kind of rude. <laughs> well, he's on a Dr. Pepper commercial. Like if you drink Dr. Pepper and you're like, Hey, I have a Heisman vote, right? You know how there's like, there's a lot of dumb Heisman voters who are like, I'm just sitting with my Dr. Pepper. I didn't watch any games this year. That guy was on a commercial. I vote for him. He'll get those votes. That's like nine votes. Well, if there's anything we do know, there are a lot of dumb Heisman voters out there. And I don't even get to be one of them. It hurts. How are you not one? By what's happening? Why aren't you one yet? I don't know. What's going how on? did you get a vote? I don't know how this works. <laughs> it did take me a long time. I was I was grinding away, like yeah, screaming. Where's my Heisman vote? It took me like eight years to get it. Do they know you're on this podcast though? You're up. Do they know you're on the College Football Survivor Show? I, I think that that might be the thing that pushes me over the edge. The other thing too is that I know that at some point somebody mentioned to me that you got to talk to like your regional person, uh, which the funny thing about it is that my regional person at the time was Dave Campbell, who ran the magazine that I was a part of technically, even though he's ni- he was 96. Uh, now he's dead. I, I don't know what that means for my Heisman odds of getting a vote. I feel like that can't help, but uh, I guess we'll see. It was very heartfelt. Uh... <laughs> he's a legend legend he's a legend i know he's a legend he lived a long full life uh that i mean he he's like a, he like defined texas football for yes. 50 years yes. nate are you a heisman voter you know they they have to i guess by rule have a certain number of voters from from certain geographic regions and you know the upstate new york you know canvassing <laughs> the upstate new york region there's just not many options out there is so. the buffalo beat writer uh, is the then uh, what other schools is the Ithaca college beat writer uh albany <laughs> albany army west point yeah <laughs> yeah i love it i love it but nate do you drink dr pepper I don't. I, yeah, I can't. Dude. I can't say that. No. So you're so like you're not the DJ. Like you're one of DJ's one of two for you. You got to right. vote. Shahan, do you drink Dr Pepper? I, I'm not a big soda person. I'm not a big. But but I did go to Baylor, which is like the capital of Dr Pepper. So like, really? yeah, it's a, it was created in in Waco actually. So that's that a, sounds yeah. like a July podcast. Why <laughs> Baylor is the I, Dr. I can Pepper give you a tour of, of the, the Dr Pepper Museum, which is in Waco, Texas. What? Also, apparently, Big Red was created there, but which I did not realize until this year. Oh, 
Big yeah. Red and Dr. Pepper, they have a flavor profile that's similar. It's weird, though. I like Big Red. I don't like Dr. Pepper. Just for real quick, there's a Dr. Pepper museum. Is oh, that and it's real? very old. It is very old. It is. It's. It looks like it was created in the 1950s. It is not good. Have you been to it? Yeah, I, once. Once. It was, uh, it was an experience. Do Baylor students, like get drunk and then go to the Dr. Pepper Museum like for like a thing? I'm sure. I I was not a, you know, unfortunately I was a very boring college student, which, uh, you know, thankfully is why I'm still in the industry because I, you know, did stuff outside of class. But uh, but yes, I, I'm absolutely sure that people got drunk or high and went to the Dr. Pepper Museum and was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I like the idea of you're like, oh, I was a boring college student. I didn't do crazy things like go to the Dr. Pepper Museum. <laughs> <laughs> what am I, a lunatic? Uh, okay. So those we all agree Tyler Van Dyke from Miami is the best Heisman candidate. Shahan, who's your dark horse? Who's your ACC Heisman dark horse? Well, I got a lot of names written down. I, I feel like there's a lot of options. Um, you know, we can save Sean Tucker for the end. Obviously, I don't think necessarily that Sean Tucker is going to win the Heisman Trophy because he plays for Syracuse. But uh, I do think that there are a couple of really interesting options on the list. Uh, Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. I mentioned him actually before, I think, on a podcast. I mean, this dude is just a baller. This dude just throws the ball all over the yard. I mean, he just, he had a leap last year that I don't think anybody could have expected. You know, he threw for 2,100 yards in his first full season as a starter, jumped up to 4,400 last year, led the ACC in passing yards. And I mean, you look at a team that was basically just one guy slinging the ball around the yard. I mean, that was Virginia last year. And now they have Tony Elliott coming in. I'm curious what that means <laughs> for Brendan Armstrong. Uh, obviously, Tony Elliott has a long history of producing great quarterbacks, but last year, not exactly the greatest endorsement that they've ever had. Um, I, I think that he's going to add a different dimension to his game. But if Brendan Armstrong makes it uh, to New York, it would be a very much he threw for a million yards and you can't keep him out sort of case. Uh Another one that I'll mention too is Josh Downs from North Carolina. Uh, I think that he, because North Carolina wasn't great, he got lost in the shuffle last year in a lot of ways, but he had 1,300 yards receiving, eight touchdowns, 101 receptions, which is pretty crazy for for a pretty undersized receiver. He was a big-time possession guy for them. Uh, I, I think that North Carolina this upcoming year, we talked about it last year. I, I You know, with Oregon, we knew that the defense was coming and eventually one year it was just going to finally click. I don't know if this is the year for North Carolina, but I do think that they're going to have a chance to be better uh, with the way that they've recruited on that side of the ball. And so I, I think that Josh Downs, again, is going to be the sort of case where he has 1,600 receiving yards and 12, 13 touchdowns. Uh, and, and I think he's going to be a name that we could be talking about on All-America list by the end of the year. All right. I like those names. Nate, who's your Heisman Dark Horse? I love that you went outside the the world of quarterbacks with with downs uh, and maybe and maybe if uh, Jordan Addison wasn't in the transfer portal as as we record this maybe Addison was was the wide receiver who could have garnered some Heisman buzz too albeit with a, a, a new cast of characters around him but and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be boring I'm gonna go back to the quarterback position but I I really like Malik Cunningham I I think listen I I I am not gonna say he is Lamar Jackson. But he is the closest thing Louisville has seen to Lamar Jackson since Lamar Jackson. And he is the guy that immediately followed Lamar Jackson, which when you contextualize it that way, it is just absurd that Louisville has had this type of talent at that quarterback position really for, you know, uh, almost the last decade uh, plus here. he 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 is second all time in nearly every statistical category to Lamar. And Lamar was this 
I, I will, I will, I don't use this word lightly. You know, he was a transcendent talent for, for that program and, and for the ACC in general, you know, winning the Heisman trophy and, and actually it, arguably putting up even better numbers the year after he won the Heisman trophy, albeit Louisville took a step back and they, and they weren't uh, quite the ACC contender that they were uh, the previous year. But, but Cunningham's a guy, again, much like the Van Dyke conversation. I think if, if he can keep Louisville competitive, uh, ranked near the top 25 he is going to have the the statistics to to suck in a lot of those heisman voters that just go stat hunting and number hunting uh which sad to say sometimes is is what a lot of heisman voters just do they just look at the numbers and they then they pick their guy but but really with cunningham what i what i like about potentially his candidacy is uh they close with at Clemson, home against Carolina, North Carolina State, and then they finish up with the rivalry at Kentucky. That is a really good November stretch where he can showcase, uh, maybe pull off the, the proverbial Heisman moment, so to speak. But like I said, if, if he can keep Louisville competitive and, and challenge for, you know, uh, have like somewhere in the neighborhood of six, seven wins going into that November stretch and then can scalp a Clemson or scalp an NC State, play spoiler cap it off with a big a big game and, and beat the rivals in Lexington, that might be enough, I think, to just nudge his way into the conversation for being a finalist. And keep, keep that stretch in mind, okay? we got another question. I'll be coming right back to that. And I do think, again, the Pat, we've seen that path. Like, you're just so good and so spectacular in a lot of ways. You get some first-round buzz, and it doesn't matter if your team's in the playoff race. Lamar Jackson showed that path. Uh, I'm going to go – this is another stat quarterback that I think has potential and is interesting, and it's Phil Dracovic from Boston College. I will direct you to a game two years ago uh, when Boston College beat Pitt 31-30 in overtime. Phil Dracovic threw for 358 yards and three touchdowns. Kenny Pickett threw for 266, two touchdowns and a pick. I think he could get right on the Kenny Pickett path. He had a hand injury that basically ruined his entire last season for him. Uh, in 2020, he threw for more than 300 yards in four of his first five games. Then I think he faced some better defense in the second half of the year, and it kind of didn't happen as much. Uh, Notre Dame, uh, original recruit, transferred to Boston College, kind of has like a number one receiver in Zay Flowers, right? Like has a guy to throw to. Like that. I think Jeff Halfley – I think wants to be on the radar. I think we'll let his, he knows he's got a guy. I think he missed him last year. They have another like kind of a similar schedule with some opportunity there. So it's a, it's, it's a dark horse, right? The guy barely played last year, but Shahan, like I, you know, opportunity and talent, I think could coalesce around that guy. Sam Hartman is absolutely punching air that you just said that Phil Djokovic has the stat case <laughs> out of the other ACC quarterbacks. He threw for 4,200 yards last year and led Wake to one of their best seasons of all time. And so I think that he, as a quarterback, is somebody else who could easily get on this list. The question is for for Sam Hartman. I think he's just going to be compared so much to what he did last season. He has to like, I mean, he, again, 4,200 yards and 39 touchdowns. You could have said Sam Hartman. Don't yell at me for not saying Sam Hartman. You could have said Sam Hartman. You didn't say it either. I'm saying that you said the statistical guy will be Phil Dracovich at Boston College when Sam Hartman's going to throw for 4,500 yards this year. Sam Hartman gets plenty of love on our favorite Wake Forest podcast. Wakey, wakey, <laughs> eggs and wakey. 
uh, again, Nate, we had done a thing where we were going to do the 10 best possible names for a Wake Forest football podcast. And we never did because we realized nobody the, would the listen to that The actual Wake Forest podcast is called Deke to Deke, which is an outrageous name, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. It's so many. We'll have a Wake Forest person on at some point. Nate, actually, we're going to let you go. We're going to bring in our Wake Forest guest right now. <laughs> and uh, coming out over there, we've got... <laughs> no, but... But but I, I do want to touch real quick on Sean Tucker. So Sean Tucker, uh, I mean, incredible, incredible player. I believe we did name him, uh, end up naming him a first-team All-American. Uh, and so 1,496 yards, 12 touchdowns. The thing that really impresses me, 6.1 yards per carry on a team where everybody knows where the ball is going <laughs> every single play. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously the quarterback play was okay last year. was improved under Garrett Schrader, but this was a team – that was completely dependent on a freshman running back. And he was incredible for them. Uh, you know, he's the sort of talent that I don't want him to leave Syracuse. I'm not saying that by any means, but you know, if he was playing somewhere else, I think that he would be a household name right now, just based on what he's done. Uh, just a super versatile player, even a factor in the receiving game as well with, with 255 receiving yards. I mean, he is a big, big time player. And uh, I mean, he, he's the sort of player that I think that the NFL is eventually going to love when he does eventually come out. Just in a, in a world where there's so many quarterbacks back, only five of the 10 leading rushers in the ACC are back from last year, and two of them are quarterbacks. So Sean Tucker, right? Nate, it's no, he's the best running back in the ACC, and it's not close. I, I think I think that's, de- that's dead on. You know, one of the things that I was particularly interested in seeing from him this past season was, you know, can he break tackles? Can he can – he, how is he after contact? You know, he answered that question. You know, I think he led the league in yards after contact. Uh you know, the year before his freshman year in 2020, he had no offensive line to speak of. You know, they were Syracuse was suiting up a fullback at one of its starting guard positions because they were so injured up front. Jeez. You know, they week to week, it was a question of whether they were going to have the minimum number of offensive linemen available to play just to be able to play when they had the COVID rules where you had to have a certain number of, of linemen available to suit up. So they were they were living and dying week for week. Tucker still went over 600 yards in not even a full season because he got he was in and out of the lineup a little bit midway through the season with with an ankle injury. Uh, but but that was a tell that he could be special. And then in the spring, uh, it became abundantly clear that he was sitting on a big year. And then last year, he obviously turns in the All-American season and he had no passing game to compliment him to speak of. So uh, first year, he had no line. Second year, he had uh, virtually no passing game. If if they can just get to a place with the Virginia coaches now working with Schrader in that passing game, if they can just get to a place to be okay in the pass game and their offensive line, which they still last year for the improvement that they've made, they still started seven different combinations up front throughout the course of the season. I think only Florida state had more in the league or in the country for that matter. If they can just have some type of consist consistency up front and in the past game, who knows what he's capable of? 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 yards, uh, you name it. He, he, is a, he is a special guy. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think the NFL uh, is going to be curious to see what he can do in the passing game. I think they're going to be curious to see how he holds up uh, from a pass, pass block standpoint to see if he can be that three down back. Uh, there are still a lot of boxes he has to check this, this year, but if he has the type of season and it continues on, you know, his trajectory, he's, he's a, he's a three and out guy, which uh, for Syracuse, 
at the skill position player or very many positions. That is that is a rarity for sure. I, I think we're making the case for a good year of ACC football. I think it's like we did not have a shortage of let's have an interesting Heisman conversation. We didn't say like, oh, like Clemson has a defensive guy and that's all. We like we couldn't stop talking. This <laughs> this podcast can be four hours long because we can't stop talking about the ACC talent. So that's a good sign. It, it's gonna it's gonna cool down now because we have to actually talk about playoff contenders now. <laughs> so so, but let's stay hot. Let's stay hot. Let's stay hot. We're gonna keep it as hot as we can, and then we'll cool down later with a refreshing Dr Pepper, <laughs> sponsored by or, or Big Red or Big Red or Big Red, sponsored by Clemson's backup quarterback. So. Let's do spoilers because you guys were starting to tease who your spoiler are. That's one of our categories. Who is the team that could spoil some other team's playoff hopes? And Shahan, you were starting to dance on that dance floor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we if you want, you can just rewind and listen to what Nate basically just said about Malik Cunningham and imagine it's actually about the whole team. But I look uh, starting on October 21st. This is the stretch that they have. They've got versus Pitt, who just won the ACC, versus Wake, who was just in the ACC championship game. James Madison, uh, one of the teams that's actually won a national championship on their schedule. Uh, obviously, that's not really a, a, one of those games. Anyway, at Clemson versus NC State at Kentucky. Now, all five of those teams are not going to be playoff contenders necessarily. But they're all five teams that could be borderline New Year's Six playoff contenders, right? I mean, Wake Forest is right on the edge of this. Pitt played in the Orange Bowl last year. Uh, Kentucky, you know, if Will Levis hits, I think that they're going to be a team that uh, that maybe doesn't compete with Georgia, but like is right on the edge of that. And then Clemson, North Carolina State, I think, are obviously the strongest contenders from the ACC. And so you have potentially five opportunities for Malik Cunningham to do something wild and ruin a season. And so when I look at a team with the combination of opportunity and talent and and just having a singular talent like Malik Cunningham, it feels inevitable that uh, that Louisville is going to have one of those games. I mean, I obviously, again, um, unfortunately, sorry, Malik, every comparison is going to be to Lamar Jackson because that's just your lot in life right now. But. I think that I think back to that game, Louisville versus Florida State in his first Heisman season, where where Lamar Jackson just decides, I hate you, Jimbo Fisher. I'm going to ruin your whole existence and just completely waxes the floor with them. I, I think that there is a game like that coming from Malik Cunningham. And and, uh, you know, we'll see, obviously, whether it turns into making a Heisman case or an All-America case. But I think it will be a proven opportunity for NFL teams. I think it will be a game that NFL teams turn on and maybe it can help them get into that uh, first or second round conversation as a quarterback. So to me, the answer is obvious. I I think that Louisville really stands apart from that perspective. Is that where you are also, Nate? Is that your spoiler team? You know, Louisville certainly has more chances to play spoiler. You know, again, I'm not necessarily going with them as my pick, but if Miami can scalp A&M early in September, you know, I think that's going to be an albatross of a loss that A&M, even if they rebound and and, uh, do well in the SEC, the playoff committee is going to look at that loss and say, eh, Uh, I don't know, much like maybe Ohio State last year with that loss to Oregon that kind of, I think, kept them out of the playoff uh, by the end of the season. I I think it, keeping it in the confines of, of the ACC, I think Wake can be a spoiler. I think, you know, the fact that they get uh, uh, Clemson uh, the week before Clemson has that potential revenge game with NC State, I think they are rife for maybe picking off Clemson, primarily because 
offensively, Wake is going to be much more further along than I think Clemson is going to be. And if Clemson is just not right offensively, Wake's offense with the tempo and, and that mesh spread that they do, they they can put up points even on a team like Clemson. And and it may not it may only have to be twenty four points. 21 points, depending on where Clemson's at offensively. Uh, but Wake's offense, I think, is further ahead uh, than most of the teams in the ACC that they can they can certainly uh, pick off Clemson and, and really ruin their CFP hopes, you know, before they even get to NC State uh, the first weekend in October. And then, you know, again, if NC State, uh, like Shahan mentioned, goes on sort of that magical run, you know, Wake's waiting for them in November. And again, uh, it's it seems to be just a matter of time before NC State NC States and uh, spoils a good thing and Wake again uh, much like that showdown last year between Leary and Hartman you know uh, those two certainly can do another battle and go head to head and and Wake you know again if it's a shootout you know uh, there's the, I, I very rarely will bet against Wake in a shootout type of environment. I think that we can all agree that Miami going on the road and beating Texas A&M would be one of the most deeply funny things that could happen in college football this year. Uh, I mean, just with all the talent that Texas A&M has and like this first year coach coming in and, you know, off a team that's seven and five, I think it would be hilarious. I'm not going to pick it, but, you know, it would be very hilarious. Uh, Clemson actually does have a pretty tough schedule, honestly, when you really look at it. I mean, when you go into November, it's at Notre Dame versus Louisville versus Miami versus South Carolina. Obviously, they're going to kill South Carolina. That's not a question. But those other three games, I think, uh, are very tricky. You know, I, I think that they're real tricky. Obviously, Notre Dame could potentially be a top 10 team. So, I, yeah, I mean, I think that Miami and Louisville, they, those are teams that I think could really put some trouble in a, in Clemson's way if if it kind of comes down to that at the end of the year. I'm going with BC, which is a little bit tied to the Phil Dracovic conversation. They have Clem... What? Can I not like... Is it, do, I have to, or do I have to pick Sam Hartman's team? That- <laughs> no, we just, we just don't like, we don't like Dracovic. Well, listen, man, you just, uh, you just, uh, calling up your friend, Jeff Halfley being like, all right, what can you do for me? Like, I, I don't know. Is it, I, I, there's a lot of Boston college love for a team that's probably going to go six and six. No, but they're going to spoil. They're going to spoil. They're going to spoil. They're the perfect spoiler because I think they can. They're going to spoil with their Heisman finalist. <laughs> I did. I went to a recruiting camp that was like a mile from my house one summer, and Phil Dracovic was there. And I was like, "Oh, this guy's interesting. Maybe oh, Ohio State might mention him. Maybe I'll write a story about him." And so I interviewed him. And I talked to him, and then I got home, and he committed to Notre Dame like an hour later. And I was like, "Well, I guess I can't write that story anymore." So, but <laughs> I do think spoiler BC as a spoiler, Boston College as a spoiler. I think maybe makes more sense than him as a Heisman candidate. Clemson October eighth. At Wake, October 22nd. At NC State, November 12th. And then this is the one that really could be goofy. Revenge game. (laughs) Boston College plays at Notre Dame on November 19th. Notre Dame opens with Ohio State, plays Clemson in the middle, and then closes with USC. I think it's possible that in the final weekend of the regular season, we could be looking at a Notre Dame-USC borderline playoff play-in game, possibly. And Notre Dame has Boston College the week before that. And it might be like, five and six Boston College and then Phil Dracovic who started his career at Notre Dame might go to South Bend and drop 450 on him and screw up the Notre Dame USC matchup so that's what a spoiler is fellas a spoiler and I'll stop talking about them now let's talk playoff teams and I'll start with Boston College I'm not just kidding uh <laughs> I'm building up. They can't be a spoiler when they're 11-0 going into their season finale. It's Clemson. 
I think Clemson is going to make the playoff. I think Clemson has a chance to be as close to the 2021 Georgia defense as anybody in the country. I think the fact that they have Cade Klubnick behind DJ Uyunglele means they aren't going to suffer the kind of quarterback play they had last year. They have another option. I think they'll be, I think they'll figure it out, losing the coordinators, losing Tony Elliott and Brent Venables. I don't think Clemson falls off a cliff, but Nate, this has been a quarterback and coordinator program while making six playoff appearances in eight years of the college football playoff. They have questions at quarterback and coordinator. So they've also been a defense program, but they lost the guy who ran the defense. They have defensive talent. There's no doubt about that. I feel pretty good, not just about Clemson as the best playoff candidate in the ACC, but as a very, very legitimate team that I I actually think has a really good chance to make the playoff this year. Am I too far over my skis on Clemson, Nate? Yeah, you've totally. They have three five-star quarterbacks in that room, and you omitted again Hunter Johnson bringing up bringing up the rear of that room. And Rocky, Rocky, they have underdog, fifteen sorry. stars. <laughs> Future in that employee of the month at Fidelity. It's going to be great. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. I think uh, most likely Clemson. You know, for all the for all the blue chip talent they have, you know their their, their defensive line is is. Will will rival what they had in eighteen when they had Wilkins and Farrell and uh, Dexter Lawrence, just, just and, yeah. Dexter Lawrence, mounds and mounds of of not just NFL talent, but but first round NFL talent. I mean, you look at and and this is what I think is is when we we opened up this this podcast talking about how there's so many guys in this league that that maybe people nationally forgot about. You know, Clemson was banged up defensively last year, uh, particularly at the defensive line. Brian Brzee was the number one recruit in the country coming off an ACL. He's back. Tyler Davis is back inside. KJ Henry, Xavier Thomas came back for another year. Uh, uh, Henry, you know, you, you go down, Miles Murphy, you go KJ Henry, Miles Murphy. I mean, they, they, are, they are rolling six, seven, eight deep at defensive line, which like we saw last year, if you have a dominant defensive front, you you can win and you can win at an elite level and it, it might not matter who the opposing quarterback is if you pressure the quarterback that is the number one way to neutralize a strong quarterback is keep them keep them uncomfortable knock them around uh put them on the ground clemson's gonna have the personnel to be able to do that week in and week out so for all those reasons i think clemson is the most likely cfp contender what will hold them back will be the offense, I think, because I, I, you know, interestingly, I think their, their quarterback situation reminds me a lot of that 18 season where Kelly Bryant entered the season as a starting quarterback. And you had this guy named Trevor Lawrence kind of waiting in the wings, pushing him all spring, all summer. And you felt like it was just a matter of time before Dabo uh, made the switch to, to Lawrence. Well, it happened. And Clemson obviously rode the wave to a national title. I think it's just a big ask for club Nick to be Lawrence and ride them to a CFP and ride them to a national title, even though the personnel around some of those guys, particularly on the defense is, is there uh, Clemson again, for as strong as that defensive line is and, and Nikki, Nick Easton coming over from Auburn to coach them up. I love that unit. They're retooling at linebacker with Skalski, Skalski and, and Bale inspector no longer there. Uh, they lose uh, Tanner Muse at safety. They lose both starting corners. There's, there's a lot of question marks on the back end of that defense for as good as 
they are going to be up front, and I think they will help bring those back seven along. Coordinator changes on both sides of the balls. I, I just don't buy in as Clemson being ready this season to challenge for a CFP berth. I think if they're going to get into the CFP, they got to go undefeated, and I don't see them going undefeated. What do you think, Shahan? Your believer? Yeah, I, I think that. First of all, rumors of Clemson's demise, I think, you know, are mistaken. When you look at their schedule last year, they lose by 10 to the team that wins the ACC in Pitt. And that wasn't an amazing loss by any means. They also had a quarterback who threw for 128 yards and two interceptions in that game at Clemson, which, oh my God. Anyway, uh, and their other two losses were a pick six against Georgia, who won the national championship in pretty dominant fashion and a two-overtime loss to NC State. So, like, they weren't all that good. They weren't amazing. But I, I don't think that they were as bad as people kind of act. And so I'm I'm looking as, like, the way-too-early top 25s are coming out, and I see Clemson at, like, 14 or 17. And, and that feels insane to me, right? I think they're a top 10 team. I don't, at this moment, have them in my playoff. To me, though, it's more about the path. I think the path is just a little trickier this year than it is in normal years. Uh, I do think that they can withstand a loss. The issue is who is it to? Because if they if they beat Notre Dame, I think that gives them a little bit of leeway. And I think uh, I think NC State's going to be a top fifteen team. I think Miami's going to be a top twenty five team. I think Louisville has a chance to be a top twenty five team. So I think that their schedule is going to be a little bit more impressive than in previous years, but. The question is, again, if they lose to Notre Dame, they kind of don't have a signature victory at that point. I, I think that that's going to be the biggest thing is where those losses come. And we have these high expectations of Clemson because, you know, we talked about it on yesterday's podcast. They have been the program of consistency. They've had mm -hmm. the same offensive coordinators for so long. They had Brent Venables uh, to manage the defense and, and they're going to be good still. I'm not, I'm not saying again, I, I don't think they're going to suddenly fall off a cliff because they lost those assistants, but these are guys who have not called plays for Clemson before. And, and I think it's just going to be a little different. Uh, but, but still, you know, we're talking about our most likely team to be in the college football playoff. I think that Clemson is still the team that is most likely to be there at the end of the year. Just again, from a talent perspective, I just wonder about those stops on the way. And that's why for me, I'm still right on the edge of having them out. Okay, we all agree on Clemson. I mean, there's there's opportunity for somebody to to buy Miami or you know by the you know if Tyler Van Dyke goes and beats Texas A and M in week two, start that Heisman campaign and start the Mario Cristobal has the U back. It'll be off and running. College football, they can't wait for Miami to be a national program again. So, so what you're saying is that Texas A and M can cause a Kenny Trill situation this time? Yeah, no, yeah, that would be a good month. Be a good September. Don't do that to Tyler Van Dyke. Don't Kenny Trill him. <laughs> playoff dark horse. Nate, who is your playoff dark horse? And this is, I mean, like everybody in the ACC who's not Clemson is a dark horse because nobody knows who they are. So there's lots of options here. Are there any realistic ones? What do you got, Nate? I'm, I'm glad you gave me that qualifier because I'm, I'm, I think if you look at a lot of preseason magazines this offseason, you're going to see Wake Forest high up in, in the ACC standings. I think there's a lot of love for Wake coming off that 11-win season, championship game appearance, Sam Hartman back, uh, A.T. Perry back, a uh, lot of offensive talent back, uh, some some good pieces in that front seven back. Uh, and again, Wake's got, Wake's got some opportunities. You know, hosting Clemson is a big one. You know, playing NC State, 
uh, is a big one for them. If if they can get on a run, I think they can emerge as a surprise contender in this in this league. Not so much from the fact that you know people don't know Wake has a lot coming back, but people people don't talk about Wake Forest that often. You know, they're the smallest Power Five school in the in the country. Uh, for as for as much uh, for as consistent as Dave Clawson has been. And for him to be able to, to withstand a hiring cycle and keep his OC uh, for another year, that, that was a major win for Wake, I, th- I felt, this offseason. Just keeping that brain trust, that offensive brain trust intact for another season with uh, Hartman, who, by the way, has another season of eligibility left and might be able to challenge uh, some NCAA career passing records if he, if he elects to come back in, in 2023. But, but Wake's my pick. I, I, I I know Shahan is going to go with NC State. I have a gut feeling they're going to go. With, uh, he's going to go with NC State. And I thought about him. I, I, you know, top to bottom, they they have uh, a, a, a talent base as good as it's ever been for Dave Doran. A lot of injured guys: Peyton Wilson, Isaiah Moore. All those guys are coming back. Tanner Engel's back. Uh, Derek Pitts is back. You know, all three levels of that defense has guys. And Devin Leary is a guy that you want at, at, at quarterback. You know, he's moving into his third year with the same OC and Tim Beck. I think that that more than anything has helped Leary as 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 a quarterback go from a freshman to where he is now as as a, as where he's at. You know, just that consistency with the OC. Uh, but I'm I'm not I'm not going with with NC State. You know, we talked a little bit about this off air. I see them much in that mix, Doug, as as Iowa State last year, as Carolina last year. Oh, you know, I picked Iowa these, State to make the playoff last exa- year. I, I heard, it. yeah. Oh. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to be Doug. I'm not going to buy State in. is the Iowa State of the ACC. I didn't realize that. Oh no, NC State's going to make the playoff. No, I'm in on NC State then. I, I didn't know that was the deal. I guess I feel more like Wake is the Iowa State of the of the playoff, right? Where I think Wake, I think Wake is the Indiana of the Big Ten last year. That's not a good thing. Can you? <laughs> if that's no, your case. That's I again. That's a separate podcast where we describe every program in college football by calling them the other program of their conference. <laughs> Wake is Wake Forest the Iowa State or the Indiana? <laughs> Boy, if we want to have a podcast with eleven listeners. <laughs> is Wake Forest the Indiana of the ACC of the Big Ten? Are they the Washington State of the Pac-12 of the 2000s in the ACC? Next on a podcast, no one will ever listen. Would, to. would Colorado be the Virginia of the Big Ten? Who knows? Like, <laughs> here are some guys. <laughs> Trust me, I, I am. I am. I am wary of. Of these, the, uh, you know, bottom rung, small market power five schools being able to sustain something over a multi-year period because they don't have typically the recruiting resources and the recruiting acumen to be able to do it year in and year out. Uh, a lot of times, what the kind of season Wake Forest had, like Pitt had last year, they are building up to that type of moment over a two, three year period, and then they come back down a little, and then they have to restart the, the wave and rebuilding process. I, 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 so naturally, you know, you'd think NC State right now is is riding towards the top of that wave. I just think there's always someone that shows up in these top tens every preseason that that crashes and winds ends up uh, the year unranked or having a disappointing year by by everyone's preseason standards. I don't know if wait, I don't know if NC State's going to crash and burn like Florida, like Carolina, like LSU a couple years back, but 
I, I like Wake better than Ace and NC State right now, just going into next season. I like how Nate podcasts because Nate gave his answer for playoff dark horse, and then he also said, "Here's who I think Shahan is going to pick." And, and, and he let me submarine <laughs> his selection and tell you why it's a terrible pick. I will say the one thing: Clemson's in the preseason going to be like top eight probably right nc state might be ranked in the top 15 in the preseason they're almost maybe too good to be a dark horse i do think nate sustaining success i think there's a psychological component to having expectations for programs that have never had expectations before and if people think north carolina state are going to be good just like i thought iowa state was going to be good i actually almost think it lessens your chances of being good i think northwestern has seen that happen it's those kind of programs so shahan please go ahead with your this case for NC State has is bullet ridden thanks to Nate, but go ahead and make it. Okay, I, I don't want to ruin the fantasy for people, but uh, but sports writers thinking your team might be good doesn't actually mean they're going to be bad or have any impact on whether the team is, is good true. or not. Uh, it's ultimately whether you have good players and coaches. But here's the thing I'll say: right, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like with me, I'm so in the weeds in like college football that. It's hard sometimes to know what's real and like, you know, where the bounds actually are, right? Because I've talked up NC State for a lot of the offseason in terms of being a team that can be in that top 15 conversation. Uh, here are some teams that are tied with North Carolina State in Caesar Sportsbook for national championship odds. South Carolina. Mm. Iowa State after losing everybody. Wow. Tennessee. Florida State. North Carolina after losing their quarterback. All that to say, yes, I agree. I've talked of NC State enough as being a top 10, 15 team. The world hasn't caught up as yet. We are in sort of our own little world here where I'm going to I'm going to talk up Devin Leary and talk about how great a coach uh, Dave Doran is. I, I don't think that the world is caught up. So I do think that they count as a dark horse team. Um, so, so you know, I, I think that you bring up a good point, of course, mentioning some of those teams like Iowa State, who uh, who have everybody coming back and have all these expectations. The thing that I'll push back on is I think from a talent perspective, North Carolina State's in a much better place than Wake Forest, than Iowa State. Uh, you know, looking at the 247 talent composite last year, which is only one one metric, but I think it's a, it's a decent one. They were 35, which is middle of the pack. Uh, Pitt was 36. Michigan State was 37. Utah was 32. I think that they're right in that range of where you feel like they have enough of a buffer that um, that if some small things go wrong, it's not going to turn into seven and six like it did for Iowa State, where maybe it's like it, it's winning at these last moments every single game if you're gonna if you're gonna succeed. Uh, they have the quarterback in Devin Leary. I like that they have so much coming back on defense. I, I think that defensive returning production really stands out to me even more than offensive. I feel like you can find receivers and running backs, um, you know. And so I feel like when I look at the position groups that they have people coming back, that's really what I like most about them uh, now again NC State fans will tell you we've been waiting for this season to happen for literally a hundred years at this point uh, and it's never happened this is probably I mean this is maybe the best program to never actually have a great season in in all of college football I think that there's an argument for that they're right in the middle of North Carolina one of the most talent-ridden states in the country and they play in a in a winnable league in the ACC and it's just never happened uh and so, you know what? I, I'm betting against history because that's apparently what we have to do here with NC State. Um, 
but you know, I think that NC State, when when I look at the league, when I look at their schedule, uh, I think that Clemson is not unbeatable. Obviously, NC State did beat them last year, and if they get past NC State, I like what they have in front of them, right? I mean, they put get Texas Tech and East Carolina in the non-conference, which I think will be two fun games, but they should win them. They get Clemson really early uh, at Clemson on September 30th, with I, which I think helps a lot. If they had them in November, that does bother me a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, I mean, after that, it's Florida State, who I think should be improved. They get Wake in November. I, I think that NC State matches up decently well with Wake because of what they do in the trenches. Uh, at Louisville, like I mentioned, that second to last week of the year, North Carolina will be a difficult game by the end of the year. But I feel like the path is pretty manageable. And, you know, I, I, I agree. I think that to feel comfortable that they make the playoff, you have to go undefeated. But... I do think that in a world where only maybe two teams are sort of far and away better than everybody else, I think Alabama and Ohio State are going to be those teams. I think there maybe are two spots available, right? I mean, I've said that uh, I've said that USC I think could sneak in because their path is pretty easy and there's not a team that's obvious to jump in front of them. I think the Big 12 is going to feel the same way and I think the ACC champion is going to feel the same way. I think that there could be two spots available. Maybe Georgia takes one of them because they just go 12 and 1 and lose to Alabama, but you know, I, I think that there could be two spots available and if that's the case, I think there's a path for an NC State team that goes 12 and 1 but beats Clemson and beats Wake Forest to still have a chance to get into the field. So I'll go a little more off the radar and I will take North Carolina as my dark horse. The idea of this is they've had three straight recruiting classes ranked in the top 15 nationally. Those guys, juniors, sophomores, freshmen, they're building that depth of talent a little bit. They have a first round potential receiver in Josh Downs. I think they have some good young defenders. And then it's one of those where I thought Sam Howell was going to be a real Heisman candidate last year. He wasn't. And there were expectations on North Carolina. We had a discussion before the season, Shahan, when we were talking about who should be the teams in the mix. We had North Carolina was like right in that. And then they proved to be not that at all. Now there's no expectations. And maybe you put in five-star Drake May as a young quarterback who, who has some real talent around him. And because people aren't looking at North Carolina, they have a better chance to succeed than they did last year when people did expect something and it didn't happen. So that's more off the radar but I do there there maybe it's a year early, but like Drake May and I know I guess he's in a quarterback battle still that like Drake, everybody wanted Drake May. Ohio State wanted Drake May. Like this is a real dude a year from now when we are having this conversation and Sam Hartman is back for year nine at Wake Forest. And where I'm saying, I don't know, Drake May is pretty good. And then Shahan will be saying, why are you talking about Drake May? You should be talking about Sam Hartman more. And I'll say, no, Drake May. So maybe it's a year early on Drake May, but I think North Carolina at least could be interesting. Quick break. When we come back, the most important game for the playoff race in the ACC, which team will be in the playoff mix in five years that isn't right now in this conference? And then we'll get on the record who, if anybody, will make the playoff from the ACC next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug Maurice back with Shahan Jeharaja and Nate Mink. My most important game is a game that we've just talked about a lot. North Carolina State at Clemson, week five. Clemson is 15-2 and two against North Carolina State in their last 17 games. But North Carolina State won at home last year. Both these teams are probably 4-0. No offense to Sam Hartman. Going into this game, North Carolina State starts with East Carolina, Charleston Southern, Texas Tech, UConn. 
Clemson starts with Georgia Tech, Furman, Louisiana Tech, and at Wake Forest. If they're both 4-0, this, is, this might be a, probably a top 10 matchup. And it's going to determine very early, as you mentioned, Shahan, like who's sort of in the driver's seat. As the team in this conference, this is North Carolina State's opportunity. This is my game of the year in the playoff race, Shahan. Is this your game of the year or do you have a different one? I think that this one is is certainly, in terms of ACC versus ACC matchup, this is the game that stands apart to me. I'll also throw out uh, Clemson at Notre Dame on November 4th. Uh, I think that Notre Dame is going to be a top 10 team if Clemson does get past North Carolina State. And like we mentioned, they have the benefit of playing North Carolina State at home. <laughs> they also have played Wake Forest earlier in the year. Uh, but I think that at this point, if Clemson does have a loss on their schedule, they have an opportunity to redeem themselves if they win this game. Um, I, I think Notre Dame obviously has a really difficult schedule. They might only be a top top 15 team at that point just because again it's so freaking hard <laughs> what they're trying to do this year but uh, but I think that beating Notre Dame on November 4th would be a huge deal especially doing it on the road I mean we saw last year Cincinnati being able to do that made their playoff case in a lot of ways and I think that with the amount of top 15-ish games that Clemson could play this upcoming year uh, not to mention obviously playing potentially Pitt or Miami or somebody like that who also might be top 15 in the ACC championship game. If Clemson's able to win against Notre Dame, I think that that can help erase a potential loss on their record. So uh, I think that we're all in agreement that Clemson is by far the top chance to make the playoff uh, out of the ACC. And I think that that's the biggest opportunity for Clemson to gain credibility. I mean, it will be interesting, for instance, in a world where you're talking about if Clemson could maybe overcome a loss, they beat Notre Dame. They'd have to get past like North Carolina State Agreed. in the division. North yes. Carolina State, if they beat Clemson, then would have to lose a couple games for Clemson to even make the ACC championship game. So I think that uh, I think that for it to happen, they have to beat North Carolina State. They need that quality win on their resume, I think. And uh, and I think that they probably need to beat Wake Forest as well. Uh, but then it, it lets them slip up, right? It lets them slip up against Florida State. It lets them slip up against Boston College. It lets them slip up maybe even against Louisville, uh, you, you know, and, and still give themselves a chance if they have those three wins. I mean, I think that's basically their playoff case, right? Notre Dame, NC State, Wake Forest, and another team from the, the Coastal Division. If they beat all four of those teams and go 12-1, and one, I think that they should be fine. It's just, I do think, Nate, that this week five game, if they're both undefeated and in the top 10, that, that could be like a game day kind of game, right? Which would be kind of like an early season ACC game would be a big deal. What was your game of the year, Nate? I, I, I agree. You know, in, in the ACC race in particular, you know, that that Clemson-NC State game is, is going to be huge. I think for, for you know, a playoff race, though, I look at that November game, Clemson-Notre Dame, again, I, I just look at, look at last year, you know, the ACC, I think, has a, has a big issue with with national respect right now and it's gonna have to take uh some type of monumental non-con win to be able to 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 put the acc back on the national map clemson for for their for their decadive dominance they looked like an sec team i don't know again mostly because of 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 where they're at offensively right now if they're going to be as dominant as impressive to the committee as you know an Alabama as an Ohio State where they just they just look like they're one of the best four teams all season so I think they're gonna have to prove it this year and that's why I'm a little wary of them if they do slip up to anyone in the ACC how that might ding them for for consideration at the end of the year that's why I think Notre Dame who I expect to be you know in the top 10 or floating around the top 10 most of the season if they go on the road and win in South Bend especially in November 
having having gone through the ACC up to that point unbeaten, I think that is the signature win that's going to propel them into the into the CFP, uh, provided they finish the job in November. But they but they Clemson traditionally is a team that gets better as the season goes along. If there is a, a slip up, it has usually fallen in that late September, early October time frame. You know, you think back a couple of years ago, they lost at Syracuse. Uh, they got challenged at Syracuse the following year. You know, North Carolina uh, uh, nearly got them. You know, BC has challenged them at times. You know, th- they can be beaten, but I think, you know, again, it, it goes back to can you can you secure a signature win? And for me, that is going to be in, in the committee's eyes much more likely to come in November against Notre Dame than in September against NC State, when at the time it might feel like a big game. And it might have carry significance, but if NC State drops a game or two the rest of the way, uh, that then dilutes that win in the eyes of the committee, I think. And then Clemson might be might be having to prove itself at the end of the year. All right, let's jump ahead five years from now. What ACC team will be a playoff contender that maybe isn't this season? I will say, looking backwards, five years. There are only five of the 14 head coaches who were in their jobs five years ago. So, like, this is a turnover league. I mean, all college football is a turnover league. So, you know, you think somebody's building something and then they leave or then you have a bad year or two and you get fired. Lots of possibilities here. Nate, where are you when you're thinking five years down the road for the ACC? Who might be a playoff contender then? I I think we're all we all might land in the same place. But I, I look in Dade County. I look in Dade County in Miami and, and uh, first year coach in Cristobal uh, first year AD in Radakovich, who's coming from Clemson and built it at Clemson and knows what it takes to have that administrative support and how important that is. And then you look at the investment that Miami administratively more than anything is starting to make with their football program. Uh, we're moving into uh, some interesting territory here with name, image and likeness that positions, I think, a, a city and a, and, a, and, a, and a location like Miami to be a very attractive destination. If you're talking about uh, players uh, dropping DMs in their Instagram or on Twitter, uh, trying to get one another to play with one another, there are very few places that I think people would rather spend uh, their college days than South Beach uh, uh, than anywhere else in the country, really. So I think for all those reasons, alignment, uh, administrative support, uh, the recruiting prowess that Cristobal brings and knowing that location and just the attractiveness of Miami in the name, image, and likeness era. I, I don't know. Uh, Miami just seems like the obvious pick, and I'm a little hesitant to go with Miami because it's like, duh, Miami. They are the sleeping uh, giant for the last uh, you know 20 years here. But uh, I think they got it right, and I think Radakovich, more than anything, is the guy that's going to help shepherd them to that, that you know return to dominance. I agree. And I think uh, for me, I'm a little bit of a Cristobal skeptic. I, I think that he's put together great teams, but they haven't performed necessarily at an elite elite level. But the thing that gives me the most hope for them is that when I look at Clemson, what's what set Clemson apart isn't necessarily just what they've done from an X and O's perspective on the football field. It's just talent acquisition, right? It's just having more talented teams than the rest of the ACC. And when I look at Miami, that's the one team that I can see uh, right now with Florida State kind of being the way that it is right now, 
who can match that from a talent perspective alone? And obviously, I think he's hired at a very high level. Kevin Steele, Josh Gaddis. I mean, that is as good a first staff as I think you're going to find in college football. Uh, and, and so I think that when you look at Miami, they have so many advantages from a, from a talent acquisition perspective. Mario Cristobal might be the best recruiter in the Southeast right now. Uh, well, there's a lot of really good recruiters in the Southeast, but he's going to be up there. And I think, uh, you know, like you kind of said, there's going to be a lot of coverage. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for them to to sell their brand and kind of uh, make their own image. So I look at Miami as being a, a place where they're going to hit a level, I think, under Mario Cristobal from a recruiting perspective that they're forced to be in the conversation. I'd almost compare it to, in some ways to Texas A&M, right? I mean, Texas A&M has done a lot of things wrong, in my opinion, on the football field. But from a talent perspective, they're going to be top five, top ten this upcoming year because of the talent that they've got. Uh, and I think that Miami certainly has a much easier path in the ACC, especially since they don't have to play Clemson every single year during the regular season. They can make it all the way to the ACC title game. I, I think that they could stand up and maybe become that titan of the Coastal Division. Although, I guess we're moving to pod, so who knows what that means. Yeah, until, yeah, <laughs> until the Coastal Division yeah, goes yes, yes, uh, yes. Kaput next year. Oh, yeah. No, we have 45 minutes. We still have to do on 355 and what we think the uh, <laughs> rivalry should be. And- I, I still don't understand why there's a second five. I, I feel like we get it enough with 3-5. I don't know why we have to say, by the way, it's a different five this time. The... Uh, people, people love schedules. So, I mean, we'll do that. Well, that'll be another bonus episode. Just talking schedules and rivalries. I do think Miami is the obvious answer. Listen, Lincoln Riley at USC has the offensive acumen, the QB guru stuff, but a chunk of what Lincoln Riley is doing at USC is like just making USC cool again. Mario Cristobal is making Miami cool again. I think there's a lot of comparisons there. It's a cool place to live. Very jazzy, opposite coast, plenty of talent, and we're both down kind of for like no reason. So I, I don't know why Miami wouldn't be good in five years. So I think Miami is the obvious answer. I think the other answer that interests me is Virginia. Virginia Tech hasn't been Virginia Tech kind of for the last decade, but there was a time between 99 and 2011 when Virginia Tech won double-digit games 11 out of 13 years. To me, there's maybe an opening that Virginia – why couldn't Tony Elliott and a first-year coach at Virginia replicate some version of what Frank Beamer did at Virginia Tech 20 years ago, right? You get a special guy like Michael Vick to stay home. You know, you try, you try to hit on something. Maybe Brent Pry at Virginia Tech will do it too. There's both first-year coaches. That's a really interesting thing. Two first-year coaches in that state in the same conference. I just think maybe Tony Elliott, who was the Clemson offensive coordinator for this entire run, kind of in the shadows of Brent Venables and Dabo Sweeney, but I think it's like a really good coach, could really build something there. I think that's possible. So Miami is my one. Virginia is my one A. And um, that leads us to the last thing where we're going to go on the record here is who's actually going to make the playoff in the ACC this year. So, Nate, we'll start with you there. On the record, does the ACC have a playoff team this year? And if so, which team is it? I, I don't have the ACC uh, in the playoff as of as of right now. I think, you know, the uh, first year uh, in the history of the CFP that they were left out last year, I think they're going to go a second year with no playoff team. Uh, I'll give you my four now. Uh, I think, like we alluded to earlier, I think Ohio State, Alabama, top to bottom, the two most talented teams. I think they're going to be shoe-ins uh, to, to get there uh, this season. The last two spots, like Shahan was talking about, I really think are, are swing swing spots, wild card spots. You know, I could see 
I could see an ACC champion getting in if Clemson runs the table or NC State runs the table. Uh, the Big 12 right now, I think, is dicey. I think there's a lot of contenders in that league, uh, potentially. I, I, you know, Oklahoma State, I thought about them, but Jim Knowles is in Columbus. You know, Oklahoma, uh, certainly from a talent uh, standpoint, uh, probably leads that conference again. But first-year head coach, uh, who's never done it before as a head coach, and a lot of their talent is in Southern California. Uh, that said, I'm still going with the Sooners, uh, to emerge from the big 12 as, as the big 12 champion. And then I'm going to look West and we talked a little bit earlier about USC, you know, are they potentially a dark horse? I would label them right now as a, a dark horse, even though again, the preseason hype train with, with Lincoln is going to, and Caleb is going to be, you know, through the roof. I just don't think they have enough in the trenches yet. And, and, and honestly, to get through the Pac-12, they might not need a whole lot to get through the trenches. But I look at Utah in the Pac-12 and what they have in the trenches and what they have coming back at quarterback and that running game uh, with Tavian Thomas. I think, you know, they get USC at home. I think Utah, if there's going to be a Pac-12 champion that, that gets back into the CFP, it's going to be Utah. So my four are Ohio State, Bama, Oklahoma, Utah. Shahan, Nate kept mentioning Wes. I thought he was going to wind his way to BYU. I thought he was maybe going to get himself there because we like talking about BYU on this podcast. I have to mention, uh, you were talking about Big 12 contenders and did not mention uh, the defending champs that I that I happen to graduate from. But, you know, that's fine. That's fine. That's we fine. got a whole Big 12 podcast coming later. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. And, I'll, and also, seriously, K-State, Baylor, and Bedlam are all yeah. in Norman this year. Yeah. And that's why I like the Sooners. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. All right, Shahan, ACC in or out? I'm going to say out. I, I think that Clemson gets real close, but the combination of, again, I think that they have to win both Notre Dame and NC State. I think they have to win both of those games. That's a tough ask for me, especially since I think that, again, the, the two options are either, well, I guess the three options are playing either DJ, who from a statistical perspective, was arguably the worst quarterback in the, in the ACC last year, which feels impossible, but, you know, sure. Um, a freshman, who I like a lot, Kate Klubnik. I think he has a chance to be really good soon, but I don't know about that soon. Or uh, or a grad student who's, you know, going to go pro in something other than sports. So those are the, those are the three options, right? I, I need to see a little more. I do think Will Shipley is poised to have a breakout year. I think he's going to be a lot better. But uh, but like Nate mentions, the offensive line, I'm still not bought in on. I want to know. I mean, they're talented, like you mentioned, in the front seven, uh, especially in the front four. But is it the same thing without Brent Venables, one of the best defensive coordinators in the history of college football, maybe? I, I just don't know, right? I think that they're going to still have a chance to be really good. They're going to be more talented still at this point than any other team. But... The thing is, right, I mean, their path to the playoff through the ACC for most of the playoff era has been nobody in the ACC really challenges them and they just go through undefeated. And it's kind of a no-brainer because of that. I don't think it's going to be a year like that. I, I don't think they're that much better. Uh, and I think that I look around the country and and I'm going to leave, uh, you know, obviously we have a lot more uh, preview shows, so we're not going to name our, our uh, four at the moment right this second. But there are enough teams in that second tier, I think that Clemson could get lost in the shuffle. I mean, again, I 
look at USC, Utah. I look at uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Kansas State. I look at, uh, you know, Michigan, Penn State. Like, I just think that there are too many teams that are going to be in that conversation, not even talking about Georgia Tech A&M at this point, uh, for Clemson to make the field. So I do think you guys are bailing a little bit on Clemson because this is the this is the second best program of the playoff era. I think the committee wants Clemson to be in the playoff. And I do think that Clemson, it has worked for Clemson to be in a terrible conference and steamroll everybody and get in without much uh, competition at times. I do think the ACC could maybe work in its Clemson's favor this year where there's enough respect for the ACC with the level of quarterback play, um, a pretty strong middle, as we've talked about, that Clemson has a loss but still is a really good playoff contender and they got terrible quarterback play last year and they lost to the national champs in their opener and then and then they lost to like a Heisman level QB in the middle of the year so I think a lot of what happened to Clemson a year ago can be explained and we have to remember that the team that won the national championship last year did so with Stetson Bennett at quarterback DJ can't be Stetson Bennett I think this has a very good chance to be the best defense in the country. Yes, Brett Venables is gone. Yes, they lost guys in the secondary. I think they might wreck people up front, even in a league with a lot of good quarterbacks. So I think Clemson does make the playoff, and I think Clemson kind of gets back to being Clemson. I I think my thing is I absolutely could see them being 2021 Georgia, but I think my question is if 2021 Georgia is like 5% worse on defense and – and then they head into a year in 2022 where I think Alabama and Ohio State are going to be much more up than they were last year. That's my question. I, I think that they could get and, and obviously the question is just about making the playoff, right? So that, that yeah, does matter. Just get in. But the I, I think that Georgia against those top level teams, the margin for error ended up being pretty small, right? I mean, we saw that against Alabama in the SEC championship game. And I just don't know if that's the case. I think that there are just too many, uh, too many opportunities to trip. And, and I think that they have to sort of have a perfect sort of storm of beating those two teams. Uh, and again, the three teams, I think you throw Wake Forest into there and also not messing up more than one time. So if, if Cade Klubnik ends up being the truth or if DJ ends up taking a step, which is perfectly possible, then sure. You know, I think that I could see it, but they have to be plus offensively. I don't think that they can just get by with being pretty good offensively and elite defensively. I think that they have to be good offensively. It can, it can only help Clemson if the rest of the ACC rises up. You know, what what we've seen in, in the past is or, or what I think what I think would be the worst thing to happen for Clemson is if A&M blows the doors off Miami, right? You know, and then that all of a sudden creates this early season narrative that the ACC is no good. Uh, if NC State trips up, if if Wake trips, I mean, look, just look at last year. Like Clemson, for all those close losses that they had, Doug, you know, the three point loss to Georgia, you know, the overtime loss to NC State, you know, the ten point loss to Pitt, they weren't anywhere close to the top ten last year until maybe the end of the very end of the season. I mean, it's just those early season losses. I think were just so saturated, and it became Clemson's no good. And we saw it week out on the field. You know, their offense. Was, was barely put it up 14, 17 points, 20 points in most of these games. And, and, and it was just hard to recover from that. I think if, if NC State emerges as a legitimate, you know, 10-win team, that helps Clemson. If Notre Dame emerges as a 10, 11-win team, that helps Clemson. 
uh, if Wake can sustain what they had last year and even win just eight or nine games, that'll help Clemson. But if if Wake Tech takes a dramatic step back, if NC State you know gets egg on its face, uh, that's going to hurt them. If if Notre Dame can't figure out its quarterback situation and they lose three or three games or so by the time they meet in November. That's not certainly going to help Clemson, you know, impress the committee. Florida State being down doesn't help the committee. Louisville, you know, they've been floating around that six, seven win territory. You know, if they stay mediocre or take a step back, that's not going to help Clemson. So many things I think have to go right uh, around Clemson for Clemson to be able to to withstand a loss. If not, I think they're just going to have to roll roll, roll through the schedule and, and, and you know, uh, earn a earn a bit and and if they do go undefeated you know they'll have earned it but you know i don't see the acc helping them out that much i do think we talked a lot about quarterbacks and rightly so on this podcast i think it is possible that by november the best quarterback in the acc is cade klubnik he is the number one quarterback recruit the number six overall player in the class of 2022 we said he doesn't have to be trevor lawrence you can't put that on somebody but he might be he might be. He has the best profile of anybody in this league. Doug is just saying stuff today, man. And Doug is all over yeah. the place on the ACC. <laughs> but Club Clubnick's not going to have T. Higgins and Justin Ross on the outside either. And also, you this know. is the best quarterback league in the country. Like, yeah, and he's the best quarterback recruit in his class. If you want to bet on that, oh, God okay. Bless we'll come you. back in November. We'll come back in <laughs> we'll November. We'll come back in November. I think he's going to be really good. Uh, I, I mean, I think he could be the second best quarterback in the Big Ten, but that says more about the state <laughs> of the Big Ten. We should make him the ninth, the ninth best quarterback in the ACC. Uh, <laughs> okay, that is our conversation about the ACC. Actually, up next, I do believe will be the Big Ten in our next conference profile. Talking playoff teams, talking Heisman contenders, talking games to watch, talking the future, talking right now. He's Shahan Jeharaja of CBS Sports. Make sure you read him there. Nate Mink of Syracuse.com. How can people follow you and uh, the coverage team covering the Syracuse Orange? Uh, I'm on Twitter at MinkNate. So last name first, followed by my first name. And we're just at Syracuse.com, baby. Simple. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you missed very important meetings. You risked your job to be here. It's fair to say, Nate, right? This could be the end for you because you appeared on this podcast? Uh, Yeah, I think. Both of your job and your reputation. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you can ship me a Dr. Pepper from Texas <laughs> for, for coming on at the very least. It's going to be like a 60-year-old Dr. Pepper from the museum. It's like, we bottled this in 1955. Sean, I'll get them for everybody. I, I do actually know lots of people who do have Dr. Peppers like that at Baylor because they have like special edition ones. I think that somebody has like a Mike Singletary one or something. I don't know, man. It's It's crazy down there. <laughs> That would be, that's like drinking absence if you're drinking like a 65-year-old Dr. Pepper. Oh, my God. All right, stay safe out there, kids. Don't drink a Dr. Pepper that's more than like three months old, just to be safe. For Nate Mink and Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.